0: What's going on, y'all? This is episode 91 of the Becoming Human podcast. I've been gone a little bit. I just got back from a trip down in San Diego. Got to go to the zoo. Ride some electric scooters around the boardwalk and the beach. Man, those things are crazy. They go 15 miles per hour. I'm like zooming, weaving through people. And I got my little seven-year-old son. (laughs) I just told him, hold on. I was safe, but... He loved them. Those are like his favorite thing. I like him too because it's like one of the few ways I get to share that sense of adventure with him when it comes to a city because I can walk really far and I can run. But it's not so accessible to a seven-year-old. But when we hop on those scooters, he likes thrill too. And it's just, it's wild. (laughs) And he gets to learn traffic laws. Not that he's riding in the streets or anything, but you know, you just play pretend. I got to check out uh, Ultimate Mat Warriors put on by Richie Martinez or uh, Boogie. It was a jiu-jitsu grappling match, winner take all. It was like $3,000 cash prize and belt uh, for an 125-pound division. My pal Austin Daffron slayed it, and he took it away with a cash prize and belt. And my other friend, Marcelo Cohen, had him in Austin's second match, and a really intense submission, but awesome push through it. The determination that those two have to be able to reach like that far in any given pursuit, I really admire that. This week's episode features Sam Escobar. Sam is a strength and conditioning coach who specializes in maces and kettlebells. Sam lives heavy shit. Sam's Instagram is one of my favorite for seeing spectacular things that you can do with a kettlebell or mace. I love Sam's style of lifting heavy kettlebells and swinging heavy maces. You can check out Sam on Instagram at GorillaGyervik. I'll leave the link to his Instagram in the show notes. He also offers some programming for you guys that are interested in swinging the bell and the mace. If you'd like to support the show, head over to iTunes and rate, review, share it with a friend, leave a comment on the website. Without any further ado, here's Sam Escobar. Follow my heart into the dark
1: to be of service. What does it mean? Golden thread spun in the web to be perceived. Rivers and streams won't stop till I wake on the bedrock. Heartbeats to the breath the well, Hits, hop, in the wedlock. Hits, hop, guaranteed. in the i growing up
2: always played a bunch of sports. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm mean, i 35 now. So back when I was playing sports, like most normal high schools, you, you didn't lift weights, you didn't work out. It was just, you know, uh, you, played basketball, you were just gonna play basketball, you were just going to play basketball, you were run sprints, calisthenics, but there was no like, no weightlifting, right? Football, the same thing. I played volleyball, the same thing. There's no like structure to your fitness, just the sport. Uh, after the high school, I joined the army, did four years there. And the same thing in the army at the time, it wasn't just, there was no structure. It's just we go out there, push-ups, sit-ups, climb a rope, go for a run, road march, just, you know, make it suck as much as possible. Again, no real education into how to work out or what to do Was just, you know, go out there and be a soldier. Uh, got blown up in Iraq in 04, got out of the Army in 05. I just had no idea how to uh, how to stay healthy, how to keep working out, how to do anything, you know. But, I mean, I was still young, so, like, I just kind of stayed in shape doing, like, playing basketball. But
0: was it a a motiva- What was your motivation for wanting to to stay in shape? Like, did you do
2: those things because they were fun for you? Like, you craved them, or was was it for health reasons? It was it was just cause that's what I always did. I was always active, always played sports, you know. And then, obviously, you know, girls at the time were a were a factor, yeah. you know, like want to keep girls looking. So yeah, just just staying active. I got into MMA for a little bit. This is you know, back when UFC was like the Ultimate Fighter just starting off. Oh yeah. So uh, I boxed a little bit in the army. So did a little Muay Thai after that. A uh, little wrestling, a little Jiu So he kind of found ways to stay in shape. Then uh, life started getting busier. Couldn't train at the MMA gym as much as I wanted to anymore. Had to try and find a way to work out that was more convenient. Uh, Was going to LA Fitness or whatever global gym my friends were going to. And uh, between the douchebags, the house music, the carpets, the AC, and everything else, I was just miserable. Hated it. And uh, just couldn't find a way to stay motivated. And then one night I'm online just looking up uh, YouTube videos on different fitness things. And I stumbled across a video by uh, Marcus Martinez who's now with uh, Kettlebell Kings. He was with Onnit briefly, much of other stuff. And uh, he was out there just throwing around these 50-pound kettlebells, making it look like he was just, just some kind of monster. And I was like, All right, cool, there's a, there's a park like two blocks from my house. I can order these things online, you know, and I'll figure it out. So I ordered two kettlebells. They showed up. I walked into the park, basically just injured my back and shoulder, just <laughs> throwing these things around willy-nilly. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, with no plan or structure, didn't read a book, just watching like three or four of his videos. That weren't even like, like he had instructional videos that I disregarded entirely. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, I'm a big guy. I'm like, I'm six, seven. So I was like, I'm a big guy. If he's doing 50 pounds, I can do 50 pounds. Let me go out there and try and replicate this exercise that he's been working on for three or four years. Yeah. So the park was two blocks from my house. I remember walking there. I had to set the bells down one time to rest, you know, rest my grip. On the way back, it took me almost 30 minutes to walk the two blocks back with the two kettlebells. Oh my God. I just jacked myself up so bad.
0: Um, so how, how was your mindset after doing that? Like, uh, how do you respond when something's really difficult like that? Is it hard for you to go back at it? Not, not, at, not at all. Suck? It's it's motivating.
2: I don't like that was in my book. That was an L that's a loss. I, I had to get a win. So uh, <laughs> yeah. at this point now I got a little bit smarter, found some different tutorials, ordered some books, did some reading slowly, just, you know, began improving my own kettlebell game. And then about three and a half years ago, I went to my first certification with strong first and actually like learned what I was doing. And then, uh, since then it's been really just, just picking up more and more steam. And, uh, over the past years, when I really really like dedicated myself to, uh, fitness as a pursuit and to see what I could possibly accomplish as opposed to just, you know, staying in shape and not being a fat slob, you know, what made you realize that was your path? Like, was there a defining moment? Uh, honestly, it was just, it was, it was a defining moment. It was just, you know, getting involved with different kettlebell organizations, different other like high level kettlebell practitioners and seeing what they could do and my own competitive drive to try and replicate and match the same thing you know and that's one of the things I love about kettlebells is, is the big jumps like at my in my home gym I have four kilo jumps uh, from eight to 24 uh, eight to 32 so 24 20 32 from 32 to 52 is eight kilo jumps and then after that it's all 12 kilo jumps well I like, I like the big jumps because then like to me it's more in my mind it's more meaningful right like, yeah, I, I have not not bought a 36 and i probably won't i've not bought a 44 and i probably won't because that jump from 32 to 40 kicks your ass yeah and i, I consider yeah i like that you like i'm jumping now from the 56 to the 68 yeah like just putting that thing in the rack even though like it's it's a whole different animal so like that's what it was for me it's just like slowly seeing other people outperform me with better technique doing everything better i was like well I, i'm not going to be better than me it's, i have to improve my a- own game
0: and that's a weird thing that, that I've experienced within the past um, three years where I'll see someone who's able to do like a, a handstand or specifically a one-arm handstand. Mm-hmm. And then they could touch their toes to the floor and then raise them back up. Yeah. And it just ignites something within me like, I got to do that. So I spend the next year consistently practicing handstands trying to you know get my form correct. And I'm excited for it. Like it's not, I'm not necessarily just trying to be better than that person. But I want to know what it's like to be
2: there and yeah. then perhaps surpass. Exactly. It's not about beating that person. It's just seeing something be done and be like, "Well, I want to be able to do that too." Mm-hmm. Yeah, like and like, that's why like my shift has become more. I'm moving more towards calisthenics again now because I had this like kind of interior goal with like body weight exercises with the kettlebells. I want to be able to like front squat body weight for reps, strict press body weight for reps, like snatch half body with one hand, and I hit all those goals towards the end of 2018. So now, my goals in 2019 are based on the 68 kilo bell. So I'll be doing all those things with over body weight. But now, Ooh. like, to me, in my mind, like, that was like a benchmark the body weight slash half body weight with one arm movements. So now, if I can maintain this strength level and increase it slowly and also up my calisthenic game, so get a pistol squat going, get a one arm, one leg push up going, get a one hand pull up going while maintaining this quote unquote high level kettlebell strength, then that to me is, it, it, in my mind, is more exceptional. And that's kind of the yeah. goals. To do those things, you know, like I don't want to just be the biggest, strongest guy out there that can't do these other things. You know, like I don't want to be limited. Whatever you can do, whatever anybody can do, basically, I want to be able to do something comparable.
0: Yeah, I seen that's the thing that was fascinating when I was speaking with my friend Bud Jeffries on the podcast. Oh, Bud Jeffries is uh, amazing. Yeah, I love that guy, man. Um, he was talking about one of his uh, powerlifting idols and friends, where this guy was breaking records, um, but he was huge, right? Yeah. Like had a lot of mass. And w- one time they went to the, um, they went out to eat and I think each of them had a pizza to themselves. Mm-hmm. And like this guy, when he would walk stairs though, he'd get out of breath. Yeah. He was extremely strong, but eventually he died. Uh, because from, I think I think it was from heart failure, something related to his heart. Yeah. And from an outsider, before I get into like fitness, I would look at someone who's a power lifter and I'd say, wow, they're, they're really healthy and they're really determined because, you know, they're lifting weights and that, that's hard. It's great for your body. And I didn't realize that, oh, OK, when you – if you look at like the body as a whole and if you were to just focus on mass and you don't worry about cardio, it's not necessarily healthy in the long term. Yeah. And so it's interesting to me how like an individual – what they're pursuing within their, um, their exercise goal, especially – someone like yourself, where it's a big part of your life. It's not just, you know, something you kind of do, but you're, you're all in. Yeah. And I understand like for that guy, right. You, you sacrifice um, longevity for some immediate um, strength gains so mm-hmm. that you can win in competition. Cause competing makes sense to me from, from the outside. We, we all like to compete one way or another. Um, but for for what I find is interesting is like, what would make you go and train with the maces and the kettlebells every day? Um, and what makes you decide that like, this is your path in life. This is what you really enjoy more than, you know,
2: all these other opportunities that you may have Uh, for me, it was just really, uh, it, I think it's what really happened over time. And the more I got into cannabis, the more I got to the Mesa, the more I enjoyed it. And then, uh, I mean, I, I some of the weekends and I've been doing that for 12 years. It's got to the arm for 12 years now. And I just started going to a park. Uh, I, I like training outside barefoot sunshine, right? I like the heat here. And I would just bring like some of the barbacks or the bartenders or people i meet at the bar to come work out with me from time to time. And that's where we started building and building and building. And as my knowledge increased, I was able to better coach them and they are seeing better results. And that was really kind of like more of a catalyst over time. And he's like, oh, maybe I can make a go of this thing. Mm-hmm. And then wow. about a little bit over a year ago, I uh, built the, the gorilla pit in my backyard and been training people there. And I mean, if, if, again, it's if something that I genuinely enjoyed. If I can make money and pay the bills doing something I genuinely enjoy at the same time, then all the better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, the maces just came as a compliment to kettlebells. I was doing basically kettlebells exclusively for almost three to f- two three years until I started seeing uh, Eric Meland with Viking Ninja start doing some mace work, and uh, I just started like exploring it. And I found it to be an excellent compliment to the kettlebells. Yeah, yeah. I, back, back to what you were saying with the, with the powerlift. Like, yeah, I like. I see those guys and I admire and respect their determination, their hard work, but I'm not willing to sacrifice longevity or mobility, whether or these things in the pursuit of strength exclusively, like strength is my primary pursuit, but I also want to maintain high levels of competency and other aspects of my fitness training, health. So like, I want to be as strong as I possibly can be while also maintaining high level calisthenic work, high level conditioning, high level endurance. You know, like, it's not worth it to me to be the strongest person alive. If I can't do anything else.
0: Mm, that makes sense. The caveats aren't worth it. The exactly. benefits. Yeah. Um, and I've had a similar experience that, that, you know, even this conversation helps me with is, uh, my pursuit of flexibility and my pursuit of strength. And sometimes those don't go hand in hand. However, I disagree. Cause like, but that's why I ended up talking with Bud Jeffries is cause he does, um, you know, some flexibility things, Yeah. Uh, but he's really strong. Yeah. And that's kind of where I was leaning towards is trying to figure out how I could be flexible and strong. Cause for some reason, as I'm doing these things, um, with with exercise, I find that that's what I gravitate towards naturally. Yeah, where when my my training plans they start to build on you know. Uh...
2: Hello, Will. <laughs> Uh, I, well, I lost you for a second. You back? I'm back. Mm-hmm. All right, there you go. And
0: yeah. so I was like, yeah, just trying to learn how to do um, get touch my hands together and then do a 180 degrees or 360 degree rotation. No, 180 degree rotation. Yeah. Sorry, from my hips with my hands together all the way up and over my head to my back. Yeah. Um, and I'm willing to sacrifice certain strength gains or even time spent training strength. Um, to be able to become proficient in that. And yep. most of the time, I don't even know why I'm just compelled. Like, Oh, this is kind of fun. And you know, moving along. And it's interesting how these things start to take up more and more of your time and they can even become, you know, a dedication of your life. Yeah. And most of uh, these happens slowly over time. And what, what are some advice that you have for people who, who are looking to get into like uh, maces and kettlebells uh, as beginners?
2: Uh, I think it kind of goes in phases, but what I, I advise people to do is like first phase kind of is exploration, right? Just get your hands on some kettlebells, get your hands on some bases, do what I did, but a little bit more intelligently. You know, don't go injure yourself, but like watch some videos, get a couple of books, you know, like if you can find a, a coach in your area to ki- coach you up a little bit, get you some basics, that's good. And then if, after that, just go out there and just just mess around, you know, like learn something you're like and just get your own feel for the implement. After that, I would say, like, I would, like, go in like, a movement refinement, try and find your best movement patterns. And the next step, I would say, would be programming. Okay. Uh, that's been the biggest difference for me in my personal training in, uh, like, 2018 was the dedication, like, rededication dedication to, like, to programming. Not doing random workouts, not getting distracted from the from the goal, but, I mean, all my workouts 2018 were written out. So I would do four- to six-week programs on different movements. And I would knock out 4 and when I did the four-week program, I'm, let's say, pressing, for example, I would press Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for four to six weeks, depending on what I'd written up, and sticking to it. You know, week three, you're fed up with pressing. Doesn't matter. Shut up. Go do your presses. You know, versus like getting bored, and not doing it. Then you're never going to see significant, significant gains. Like there's a lot to be said for like you know GPP solid training with just you know randomized workouts to get you stronger, faster, more fit. But if you want to hit significant numbers outside of like the general fitness area, I, I do think specialized training is almost a requirement if you want to hit a new PR in pressing and specific movements, or getting these numbers at some point, you have to start doing some dedicated work. Like with some of my online clients, I have them doing, you know, more general, you know, GPP kind of training, but if they have a specific goal, they either open up or close out their sessions three days a week with a particular movement pattern based on whatever their, their goal might be. So again, if your goal is pressing, for example, I'm going to still have you doing like general fitness stuff, but then every Monday, Wednesday, or Friday, you're either opening up or closing your session with a 20 to 30 minute press workout. And
0: so for the layman, what are you what is the individual learning from or learning when when they're studying these movement patterns? Like, is it just that they get stronger by do they produce more muscles, you know, generate
2: hypertrophy by doing these movement patterns or do they become more intelligent, able to perform them more perfectly? Uh, I I think the the earlier jump you're going to see is in neurological strength. Refining a movement pattern, making it better, more efficient, learning the sequencing, patterning all the neurologicals that happens. Uh, then you get actual muscular strength, and then, I would, generally speaking, I, I found the third phase would be hypertrophy. Okay. So most people will see like a jump in strength when the, uh, so they're new to kettlebells. They'll come out, they'll start training, and I, a lot of people like will substantiate this, you know, anecdotally. And the first two to three weeks, you're gonna see a big jump in strength, and that's just a refinement of movement patterns. So they're not actually physically stronger yet. They just learn how to move better and they learn the pattern better and strengthen that. Secondly, then they're going to see a little jump in actual strength. Their muscles are going to get a little more dense, a little harder. They to move a little bit more weight. And then the third thing they're going to see after that, generally speaking, I found is a, a change in hypertrophy. Very rarely do you see a change in strength and hypertrophy at the same time, okay. especially for beginners. Most of the time on a, on a beginner program, once your movement patterns are healthy and you know what you're doing, you kind of make your choice of which it's going to be. With my training protocol, I am more strength-focused, the rep ranges are lower, rest periods a little bit longer. Strength comes first, hypertrophy comes, comes second. Mm-hmm. But you can definitely use kettlebells and maces and adjust the rep range, adjust the rest period to be more hypertrophy-oriented. Okay. It just so happens that most of the guys that practice kettlebells and maces are, generally speaking, strength or conditioning guys, or, or girls, or they're not really as hypertrophy-focused. Mm. But there's, you can absolutely use these implements for hypertrophy or for more of a you know, quote-unquote bodybuilding approach
0: yeah and um why do you choose to lift heavy with kettlebells because people that on average right I, i'm learning more and more about like people who specialize in kettlebells mm-hmm. but on the sur- when i scratch the surface it's more people you know doing uh like what is it i don't know what the kilograms is but like the 50 pound
2: uh 35 yeah. pound kettlebells, 24 20 kilograms pounds. yeah it, was a, it would be 53 pounder 32 would be a 70 pounder. Yeah, and in most kettlebell gyms, the 32 kilo kettlebell is like is the heavy kettlebell. And they might have like a 48 kilo one, like the 106 pounder as more of a conversation piece. But most people really don't, don't use the, the 48 kilo 106 pounder. For me, it's, just, I, it's more I just don't enjoy conditioning work. I don't enjoy the larger volume. I don't enjoy the larger longer sessions. It's not fun for me. I genuinely enjoy strength. I like getting stronger. So that my, my position is going to naturally fall in that direction. So There's more about my own, uh, you know, natural predisposition, and then I went to a seminar a while ago by Strong First called Strong Endurance, and basically, one of the points of the seminar was one of the ways to increase your conditioning is like a cheat, which I which I like is that instead of improving your conditioning, you just want to get so strong that that weight feels light for you. Mm. So like, you know, I'll go to do do to some some uh, cross the gyms in the air every now and then, or I'll go to some like you know hit gyms, you know high intensity normal training every now and then just to vary my workouts and uh, I'll, I'll do very well at the workout. I think, oh my gosh, you're really well conditioned. I'm like, I'm not really though. I'm like, what do you mean? Like you did well in the workout. I'm like, oh, well, that's because like the eighty 180, pound deadlift for 10 reps for some of these guys is challenging and it takes a lot out of their tank. So then they have less in their tank for the bike or for the sit-ups or for the pull-ups. Whereas for me, the 185 deadlift is, is light. So I can crank out those 10 reps. It barely even slows me down. So like my approach to conditioning is just to get as strong as I can while maintaining some conditioning training, obviously, so that conditioning work just feels easy for me. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, like I went to a, a hit t- place last night that my friend of mine owns, PumpFit Club, and I was able to do the workout pretty well, but, again, like, the weight they prescribed for the guys was 16 kilo bells for lunges and presses. So, what, uh, like, 35-ish pounds? For me, the 35-inch pounds, that's like, I, I don't even use that to warm up for my presses anymore. My lightest for the presses is the 24 kilo bell. So, I was able to crank through that and make it look easy. Like, my conditioning isn't that good, it's just it's light, you know? Yeah. If you're gonna do like bicep curls with a 15 pound weight, it's not really gonna slow you down. But someone that to that's heavy, that's gonna put a dent in them, you know? Mm, that makes sense. So I found like my way around conditioning, so I can improve my conditioning without actually improving my conditioning.
0: That's really cool. I, I like that approach um because I kind of generate or lean more towards that as well. I for me, I, I have like uh, running and uh jujitsu that I focus on mm-hmm. and I use uh, kettlebells and body weight training to accentuate those, my uh, athletic endeavors. Yeah. With that, I always end up just lifting really heavy because I don't have to dedicate, you know, a, a lot of time to lifting light yeah. you know, for a lot of reps or for doing endurance training, you know? Um, but it's interesting cause you just, your relative effort level goes down. Substantially. Yeah. And, but ha- has that created any complications for you? Um, in conditioning like obviously it's working out for you great so i don't feel like it's like a cheat i feel like it's just another way to get to this
2: to the same, same goal. goal yeah i think it's just the best training program is the program you're going to stick to right yeah. so no matter how well written the program is how well set up it is how well structured no matter how many scientific studies are behind it if you don't enjoy the program and, and give it your 100 percent for the four six eight weeks it requires it's not going to benefit you So could I improve my conditioning more effectively with a true conditioning program? Hypothetically, maybe. But if I'm not going to dig in and give it my all, it's not going to benefit me the same way this potentially less effective program will be if I give it my 100%. Now, that being said, like, I still do mobility. I still do calisthenics. I do do, do, like, a little burner at the end of some workouts. Uh, I'm big into striking still, so I'll do some striking uh, for about 20, 30 minutes with, like, my training partner. At the the workout. So, so, I am getting some movement and some, a you know, little bit of cardio, a little bit of conditioning. Like, my approach won't really work if you don't also do some cardio conditioning. Mm-hmm. So, you still have to do some of that just to get you know, your heart rate and get used to that every now and then hit that point, you know? But I'll never do like any kind of conditioning stuff more than five minutes, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. But where some people will push that for five, 10, 15, 20 minutes, I cap it at five. Just so I can remember what it's like to have my heart beating at that, that rate, you know? And then yeah. striking, like we'll do rounds with the striking, and, uh, and that always goes pretty well. But I mean, like you, you have to include some other training modalities to some degree. Like even someone that just does straight conditioning all the time with no strength work, they're going to plateau very quickly, right? Someone that just does only, only endurance with no strength conditioning work, they're going to be very limited in their athletic pursuits. Like, I mean, if you break it down simply, you have, you know, the endurance, conditioning, and strength. You do to some degree have to kind of mix all three of it you know, but I, again, I found a way to, to do very little conditioning work and focus more on strength in a way that still helps me improve my conditioning in a roundabout way.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that makes sense. And just trying to figure, figure out how it works for you. Cause just like you said, it's, um, the best, uh, protocol is the one that we stick to. Yeah, and, and that's where I found even with, with, with my running in jujitsu is like, for conditioning work, I, I do a lot better with uh, an activity that makes me excited. Absolutely. Uh, usually it's just mainly running, but I, conditioning work with weights, I don't really – I can do the 100 kettlebell swings, yeah. but you know, I, I don't really like it as much. I, I really like trying to lift heavy and the sequencing of trying to perfect the movement pattern for the overhead press with a really heavy weight. Yeah. And that that did remind me what you said earlier when – how you like leveling up with the kettlebells. And kind of becoming familiar with your new weights, since they're pretty yeah. big jumps. That's almost been – that's been my favorite thing because uh, I'll buy a kettlebell and perhaps I can't do uh, – I can't like snatch it overhead, right? Mm-hmm. But I could do overhead press. Yeah. And it's it's difficult – or no, i uh, sorry. I can uh, jerk. The overhead yeah. press, right? Instead of doing a strict press. Yeah. But, but then after a couple of weeks of consistently doing that, I can start doing strict overhead presses. Mm-hmm. And then I can expand what I'm able to do uh, with that size kettlebell. And once I become proficient in it, I can use it for more you know, higher reps yep. uh, and then pick up something else, a yep. new kettlebell with lower reps. I haven't tried maces yet, or
2: I've been looking into Indian clubs too. Those look uh, very interesting. Uh, uh, shoulder. Uh, yeah, I, lo- I love the Indian clubs, especially doing uh, jujitsu, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, wrists, elbows, shoulders take a lot, a lot of torque. You know, like, I, I did some jujitsu training back in the day, but I just I hated it because like uh, for a big guy, I'm, my quick feet and my reach, mm-hmm. right? Those things basically are not important at all jujitsu. So, like, my two biggest attributes when I was fighting were negated on the ground, <laughs> yeah. especially with a gi. So, like I, was oh, just, yeah. I was, like, I was lazy. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to work on my jab and make you have to take me down from five feet away. Yeah, exactly. But like the torque you take on the wrists, elbows, and shoulders, uh, Indian clubs are huge for that, man. Like I would definitely encourage Indian clubs. Like my, my press routine, I wouldn't be able to finish the six weeks of pressing the way I do with the volume I do if it wasn't for the mace and especially Indian club work to release that tension, get some synovial fluid, pump it back up, and just get that movement back in the joints to ease some of that tension. I would definitely recommend you look into the Indian clubs and obviously maces too to help like loosen up the shoulders, work on that flexibility different ranges of motion there. Yeah. They'll be massively beneficial for you.
0: And what are, um, in your experience, what are maces good for? What's,
2: yeah. What are they good for? How do they help you uh, with strength and how do they help you with flexibility? Uh, with my kettlebell training, a lot of people use i I'm not a big kettlebell flow guy. I'm not a big kettlebell sport guy. Uh, not anything wrong with those pursuits obviously, but I like my, I'm more of a hard style kettlebell guy. All my kettlebell stuff is for the most part, just, you know, very linear, uh, strength based or very force projection, you know, just, go, go, go kind of thing, you know? What's and, the difference between sport and hardstyle? Sorry. Uh, style, the, the basic idea with hardstyle is just, you know, like maximum energy, energy exertion per rep. So you want to be, you know, heavy, hit it hard. But It's more a sprint versus a marathon. Okay. Can sport sport? They're probably going to go a little bit lighter than a hardstyle guy would go, and they're going to go for longer sets. They have the 5, 10, 15, and 30-minute sets, which is just insane. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, you know, hardstyle, like, you know, the, the longest timed event that any hardstyle person is really going to do is going to be the 5-minute snatch test. And that's really only certifications. And you'll test yourself every now and then. This is a little, little, you know, a little finisher just to make it suck extra hard. Yeah. But for the most part, it's just maximum power on every rep. And you, you're limiting it, generally speaking, like eight, normally 10 reps. People will do some 20 reps every now and then. But generally speaking, you're going maximum power ten for 10 reps-ish. So I stick to that. And then obviously, there's a lot of tension. So I always f- – I found that pairing a heavier kettlebell movement with uh, – Similar pattern with the mace is immensely beneficial because the mace being offset, the mace having the rotational aspect, all these different components that are unique to the mace with the longer shaft, the weight on the end, really complements the kettlebell training and it helps my recovery immensely. So instead of just going like, you know, with uh, let's say with the overhead press, for example, pressing the linear, you know, hand down to here, elbow locked in, press up nice and tight, like you're maintaining tension a lot, right? So you're building up all this, you know, like all this acid. You throw some mace work in between and after, and then you, you get rotational, the fluid. You're still working the shoulder and the grip to a large degree, so you're still working the same muscle pa- muscles in a new pattern that's almost invigorating. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then, I mean, I, I've also like, been fortunate enough to learn from uh, Eric Milland, who you know, has his Viking Ninja thing now, and uh, he's just a master with the mace. So I'm always hitting him up for different ideas, different topics. I'm always watching his Instagram page to see what new exercise he's doing, and so I'm going to see if I can replicate them and adopt them into my own training modality. Yeah. Now, yeah, the mace is the mace is awesome. And again, yeah, just like the kettlebells, a lot of people try to limit the mace to like just the three sixties or ten to twos. People want to use kettlebells as strictly like a cardio or conditioning thing. But uh, they're all tools, and if you learn to use a tool properly, you can use that tool to accomplish any fitness goal you might have. It's just a matter of knowing what you're doing.
0: They're they're very versatile. Uh, at least speaking for the kettlebells, because I've been able to use the kettlebells. You know, uh, even if it, even if I only have like a the 53-pound kettlebell, right? Yeah. Um, doing like single-leg squat or – yeah, single-leg pistol squats with mm-hmm. it and then single-leg deadlifts and yep. it's just – it's immense in what you, can, what you can use these tools for. That's why I was fascinated about the maces. I even watched you on Instagram, I believe. You were doing a, a lever push-up with the kettlebell where you – or not the kettlebell, with but the, the mace. Yeah. You got one arm on the or one hand on the ball of the
2: mace and the your other hand on the end of the handle. Yeah. And literally just get those are insane, man. Yeah, that was that was super challenging. Like I saw it, like the, the same guy, like you know, I keep blowing him up, but Eric Milland, I saw him post the the, the thing on his Instagram. And I mean like you know, I was in the army, I like doing push ups and like push a all the time. I was like, oh, let me try this, it can't be that hard, you know? And man, yeah, I definitely ate it a couple of times trying to find the timing and the sequencing on that. Like I didn't even think about it because if you if you watch the video I had the mace basically upright in my hand on the, on the head of the mace. And that, yeah. so as I'm doing the push-up, I'm also simultaneously so sliding the lever out to the side. So I didn't even think about the mace head having to move in my hand. Oh, whoa. So I had to slide my hand over the mace so I didn't, like, tweak my wrist mm-hmm. while at the same time gripping it and also putting weight on it. So it was this weird balance between, like, putting enough of my weight on the mace head to support myself but not so much where I couldn't rotate it. Mm-hmm. So the well, way down super, wasn't it. that bad, but the way back up, rotating my hand back underneath as like as I'm pushing on it was was super oh. challenging. Yeah. Like, I remember when I finally got it done, I was actually super surprised with how smooth I was able to make it look. Because when I'm doing it, I'm like, oh man, this doesn't look like hot garbage. Like there's no way I'm going to post this. Like it's going to I look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. And I actually, somehow magically made it look halfway decent. so I posted it up there, but yeah, it was that was way more challenging than I thought it was going to be. And I had a oh, bunch wow. of people try it too that like some, they saw me post it. Like a lot of stuff I do, like people don't have access to the weights I have or, or everything else, or like I'm just a bigger guy. So like some like the one hand deadlift I've done, people aren't gonna be able to try that, but a push up is more universal. So yeah. a lot of people tried that, they're like, oh my, and then reach out to me afterwards. Like that was way harder than I thought it was gonna be. And I was again, that was, <laughs> that was a really cool trick because again, like it was it definitely caught me by surprise. I thought I was gonna be able to like, you know, warm up real quick, shoot the video before my actual workout in five or so minutes and get on with my day. But it actually took like a solid 5, 10, 50 minutes to like properly pattern it and get it all down right to where I, I wasn't eating it every time. That was a really cool yeah. exercise. Wow. That would be good for balance too. Oh, 100%. And just total body tension. Like you 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 had to keep your legs tight, glutes tight, lower back. Everything had to stay dialed in to keep yourself square on that mason. If any part of you started leaking, you were going to collapse. Like it was – and then the offhand on the lever did not help as much with stabilizing as I thought it was going to. I really? Like to pull on that heavily to like keep myself up. And basically, it was just out there just to mess with you.
0: <laughs> it's really just a one-arm push-up on, it, on, on a mace. you got to keep on the a, middle of
2: your palm, yeah.
0: you know capped up.
2: Yeah. On a moving mace head is basically what it, what it ended up being.
0: That's wild, man. And that total body tension is something that I've been learning a lot lately. And I realized just how, how much I lacked the ability to do it mm-hmm. when I first started. Uh, it, and it's interesting because I didn't know that I didn't have that. You don't have that much body control yep. unless you're you're actually demanding it of yourself and learning how to control control your body over time. Because I was learning how to do it was a one arm push up, and with the one arm push up, you have to be able to uh, pull your shoulder down um, and what is it? Squeeze your butt cheeks together, yep. and then uh, keep tension throughout your legs. Because if you don't you'll basically be like a wet noodle and it'll be so hard to push it up. But if you maintain that total body tension, then it's a lot easier and it takes a lot less effort. Um, after three months of like working on that and working it into my pushup routine, I was able to have total body tension and it was almost, it wasn't effortless, but it it was easy to do. It was easy to maintain full tension. It didn't take much um, thinking and control and the pushup was simple and it's made all my, uh, my just regular two-handed push-ups, very easy. Yep. Um, it reminds me of that thing with like if you ever look at your toes and if you ever try to wiggle your toes independently, mm-hmm. most people can't but you can teach yourself too yeah. over time because you can get the muscular control and yep. that's so wild what our bodies are capable of Yeah,
2: if, if we demand it. It's a, it's a limitless untapped potential. You have to make yourself aware of it, yeah, especially when it comes to strength training. The full body tension becomes essential. Like, there's no way I could do some of the lifts I'm doing if I wasn't completely dug in for every lift. Like, I've watched videos of powerlifters and, you know, strongman competitors. And you, like, I thought for a long time watching them get, like, psyched up and stomp the ground and slap their chest was just like a, like a hype technique, you know, getting amped up for the lift. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, that's all, that's all part of the science to it. Like, you know, they stomp oh, their feet really? for deadlifts. Oh, yeah. Like, there's thousands of, like, neurotransmitters in the bottom of your feet, right? And uh, the more you wake those up, the easier it's going to be to recruit all those little muscles in your calves, legs, quads, everything else, if those guys are wide, wide awake. So you see a pilot stomp his feet before a deadlift, he, he's pumping himself up, but he's also waking all those muscles up, you know? You see a, a big bench presser, like slap his chest, or his buddy slap his back before he goes to bench press. That looks cool to get pumped up too, but that's waking all those, all those muscles up, getting everything just firing, you know? That's crazy. Yeah, like before, before I do it, like if I, before I go for a PR precedent, for example, like, I'll pump my hands as hard as I can because there's neuroreceptors in the hand. So I want to get blood flowing in the, in the hands, right? When I, when I go to the big, big press, I'm squeezing the handle as tight as I can. I'm flaring my lat. I'm digging in my core, my butt, everything else. And even my offhand, for, even for a one-hand press, I'm squeezing my offhand just as hard as my working hand. Oh, really? Yeah. The more tension you generate in, in within the circuit, right? Your body is like a circuit. The more effort you be able to put into the working arm. Uh. Like all those things I learned over time aren't just like motivational techniques, and they just get, get you pumped up. Those things are all have scientific backing in their effectiveness to get you on on a higher lift. That is so cool. Yeah, like if, if I have someone like coming up to like to try like a, like a kettlebell PR swing or like a kettlebell like you know heavy swing, and if they they have their, they're unfamiliar with it, I I work on their setup. You know, I have them deadlift the kettlebell a couple of times just to feel the weight, get comfortable with the weight feeling in their hands. Because your body will shut down most PR attempts automatically if it's a big enough jump, mm-hmm. you know. Especially with my kettlebells here, the bigger jumps I have, they're 16, 24, 25 pound jumps sometimes. So you go to you go to swing, you know, the, the the 150 pound kettlebell, swing the 124. Your body w- won't let you, you know, activate the muscles it needs to to swing that because it feels a like heavier weight, and it protect you, it just shuts it down. Safety mode. Safety mode. Absolutely. So I have people. If I'm not, they're gonna swing heavier, for example, I have them just deadlift it a couple of times, and while the deadlift they kind of like twist a little bit, just very lightly, you know, kind of to pick one foot off, pick another foot off, so your body can feel the weight and motion a little bit, so your body can understand that this is a, a manageable, reasonable weight. And then after that, then I work on their setup. Walk away from the kettlebell. Don't think about the lift. Right before you approach the kettlebell, in your mind, go over the mechanics of it. Right, deep hinge, lock out. You know, get, get the elbows active, yeah, lats active, everything else. And then once you walk up you're walking up right walk up get your feet set then stomp your feet you know reach forward rub your hands along the kettlebell handle rub your hands on the kettlebell Stuff. give it a little slap if you want all these things help you like just wake everything up possible to make that swing more effective and more powerful wow and like those those are like I said the little things I've learned just over over, over my time with kettlebells is just those things are all have a purpose you know like they're not doing like it, it's it's all it's all there mm-hmm. like even wow. you remember with the, with the one I with the one on push up the more tension you generate the easier the push-up is. Same principles apply to any other grind or ballistic movement you're doing. Wow, that's really cool. That's gonna that's gonna help my game. Period, man. I Absolutely. That. Especially with the press, the best view I can give you is the offhand. Some people even do like a seesaw with it. So like if they're, I'll do this sometimes too. So if I, I don't know if you're gonna have the video for the podcast or not, but I mean you can see it. Yeah. You have the, the kettlebell on the rack. I'll even reach up with my off arm and pretend mm-hmm. I'm grabbing something. And, squeeze it, and then I pull this lat down as I'm driving this lat up. And that helps me throw more power into the pressing arm. Wow. This, uh, our bodies are so incredible, man. That's yeah, amazing. It, it almost
0: reminds me of uh, – yeah? Oh. Oh, no. it, it, rem- it reminds me of flexibility because people think like with stretching, right, that you're, you don't really elongate – m- you can't elongate a muscle yeah. unless uh, the only way it gets shortened uh, is by surgery or scar mm-hmm. tissue um, through tears. Yeah. But like, cause if you were to give someone uh, ana- anesthesia, you can move you them can like a rag splits. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They could do all of this, these crazy, you know, contortionist things that you wouldn't think were real. Um, however, if, if you put yourself in like the splits, usually it's your body putting safety mode on, like what you're yep. talking about for the heavy lifts. And if you can breathe through it and give it, you you get in the autonomic nervous system Mm -hmm. by using your breath work. Um, you're able to achieve pretty great flexibility. Um, and you make very good, uh, you get, you'd increase the effectiveness in which you would, um, gain your flexibility, right? is using the breath work and preparing properly. Uh, it seems like it's, it's really important though. Like what you're saying about the kettlebells and maces to, to prepare, uh, for it to be able to get, you know, to lift heavy and stuff like that, Absolutely. has it carried over to your life? Has, have you learned um, like life skills by lifting kettlebells
2: and working with maces? I think it's more it, for me. just speaking it's more the other way around. It's just applying life skills to the exercise and just making that part of life. Like a lot of people look at their workout as something different they have to do than what they do every day. Whereas the more I've gotten to know kettlebells, the more I've gotten to know maces, the more it becomes almost a symbiotic relationship where it's just integrated into what I do every day, you know? So, again, like, yeah, like I'll, I'll see things about in the, in the gym with adversity, pushing through it, getting tired, like, working out harder. But then you also learn about different things in your life that carry over into the gym, you know? So, yeah, that, that's, that's been a cool thing for me, especially in the last year, year and a half, is just fully integrating, you know, my workout routine, my fitness pursuits, everything else, just into my daily life, and just making it one cohesive thing, you know? Like, I started doing carnivore about eight months ago. So it's just more... Oh, you- more things is kind of like all moving in the same direction. <laughs>
0: yeah. A carnivore
2: diet. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. How's that going
2: for you? Man? Oh, I, I love it. I, I'm a true believer. I'm all about it.
0: That's so cool. See, I, I have fun um, just for the sake of experimentation, like end of one kind of studies. Um, we're experimenting with different diets and just seeing what it does to my body. You yeah. know, just like experimenting with different training modalities and seeing what it does to my body and also psychologically, how it affects me. Is Here, mm-hmm. do I dread it? And the same with food. I always look at like the the food that I like that's good for me, um, and figure out how to be able to program a diet based around that. And you know, experiment. Well, what does my body do with high fat? What does yep. it do when it's you know low fat, high carb? But that wasn't a good idea. But mm-hmm. um, and I used to get like hypertension around that. But um, yeah, it's it's fun, man. And has it changed your your output and exercise? Like uh, the carnivore absolutely type? has.
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, I've made some pretty significant gains in the past six, seven, eight months uh, in my lifts. And I think carnivore has been a big part of that. Like, I mean, obviously programming has been a big part of that. You know, a more dedicated effort to working out. You know, being a bartender, like I cut back on booze dramatically. Uh, but carnivore has definitely been a, been a big, big part of that. And yeah, I mean, uh, I was coming back from my uh, my, my, my mother's house. I was driving, my wife fell asleep. And I listened to uh, Sean Baker on the Joe Rogan podcast. And that got me down the rabbit hole. You know, I started off with that podcast, did some more research, looked at a bunch of other stuff, watched more videos, did more reading. And then about two weeks of that, decided to give it a try. And yeah, I'm, you know, I've had a, you know, I've had a couple cheat days, you know, but for the most part, yeah. yeah, carnivore all the way. I love it. You know, uh, high protein, high fat, no sugar, no carb. Strengths going that's up, great. body composition is improving, uh, sleep better, more energy throughout the day. It's yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, that's rad, man. And speaking to uh,
0: how your exercise is carried over into, you know, life skills like that, that's the thing that I noticed for myself was I'm a single dad. My my son just turned seven a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks ago and when he would have like a meltdown, right, or it was a very stressful scenario, I remember a time when it was, it was difficult to cope with, right? It felt like a lot. It was overwhelming. Um, And after doing exercise, though, and getting into, you know, kettlebells specifically in jiu those things were a lot less overwhelming, even yeah. like cleaning my car, cleaning my house. I mean, because what is that compared to, you know, in the PR out. With lift? Yeah. Or, or doing a lever push-up with a mace. Like yeah. that, it doesn't look – from the outside, you know, people might scoff at that. Like that's hard compared to, you know, I don't know, being a father or something like that. But – I would argue, like psychologically and physically, in the moment, it, that's why it's a PR.
2: It's yeah. the hardest thing that you can manage. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I think anytime you add in a healthy way it can add a stressor to your life, and overcome the said stressor, uh, it'll, it'll carry over. You know, the more things you get out there, expose yourself to, the more things you can get better at, and improve on. Like if you're, you know, to some degree aware of your life and how you, you know, you're moving through the world, all those things will start feeding into each other. You know, like like. The whole idea I would think is, is to create like a, like a positive feedback, feedback loop in your life. You know, sleep well, eat well, work out, you know, like pursue healthy hobbies, you know, like do all these things that are going to like all contribute to your overall uh, optimization, your overall improvement. And it,
0: I didn't think about it that way, but it's interesting to put it where, whereas like, you know, you have these healthy stressors and it's just like when it comes down to lifting, if you were to make a, a jump um, way too high. Yeah. Way too high. Not, not your jumps. Yeah. yeah. something, something and, unreasonable, yeah. Exactly. And, and then you get injured. You yep. get injured, right? Or, and it's the same with life. It's like if you have, you know, these negative stressors or uh, stressors that are way more than you could handle. Yeah. And you didn't properly gauge them. Well, you get injury. Psychological. But, yep. Emotionally you know, yeah. Emotionally injured. absolutely. And and that's actually helped me because like, I, I had a rough life growing up. Like, you know, when I was younger, I made a lot of poor choices. But – through manageable stress, which weightlifting, uh, athletics, mm-hmm. I've been able to build my character and become the person that I've always needed to be for myself. Yeah. And I don't think I could have done that with just saying, ah, just, you know, do the things you're supposed to do. Yeah. I had to find something that I like. And through that, through that vehicle, um, build myself into
2: a more healthier, um, and determined individual, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, I Uh, I think we're we're very uh, we're very complex animals, right? And I feel like the more things that we can pursue without again overloading ourselves, uh, the happier, more well rounded you're going to be. You know, like I've had I've known a bunch of people throughout my life that were never athletic, never did anything else, and as they got older, like stress piled on, piled on, piled on. Their ability to adapt wasn't evolving with the stress of their life. And some of these people that have actually like you know been able to like realize that they need to implement some fitness in their life or implement some martial arts in their life, or even implement some kind of musical pursuit or a hobby or something like edifying to some degree helps them with their daily stress, you know? The more things you're able to do like that, like for example, like, I mean, I'm working out like, you know, like the martial arts, I try to read regularly, you know? Like I keep meaning to like start picking up a musical instrument of some kind just to like, you know, use that part of my mind. I feel like the more of these things that we're able to pursue and expand, even if you're bad at them, just Mm -hmm. exercising that, you know, mental muscle, if you want to call it that, will carry over and improve other aspects of your life, whether you know it or not. Mm, yeah,
0: I, I completely agree. And that's what I think uh, Japanese word for it's like Shoshin, which is a beginner's mindset. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of uh, really old school writing uh, on how like starting new things can affect uh, your level of mastery at any given thing. Right. Absolutely. And it, even things that don't seem related, like what you're saying about uh, being you know, picking up an instrument. I mean, if you were able – if you picked up a guitar, imagine what it would do for your finger work, right? Absolutely. Like, and also your coordination.
2: Um, well, I when, think one thing, too, is just to remind yourself that you're not an expert in everything. To remind yeah. yourself that there's always something new to learn. You know, like yeah, I'm – from, I'm from Florida, so I'm a big Dolphins fan, so I, I hate the Patriots, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember, like, you know, like, I, you have to give Todd Brady credit. I watched an interview with him. He's talking about on the offseason he was working on new tricks, new things he could do. I mean, this man's basically universally regarded as the greatest quarterback, at least of the modern era. You know, he has, at the time, what, five Super Bowl rings? All this other stuff going for him. He's over 40 years old, and in this offseason, he was learning new tricks. You know, like, most people with that level of success would have stopped trying to learn new things a long time ago. You know, like, that, that, that should be a wake-up call for us, that someone at the, at the, the very peak of, of a very competitive field, at that point in his career, is still improving. You know, like, we should still have a similar mindset. Like, i still be trying to improve my kind work, learning how to do things better, like still trying to like beautify my life as much as possible. Again, I think picking up, like I said, picking up new things reminds you no matter how good you are at one thing, that there's still a lot of things out there you're not very good at. And you need to maintain this, like the student mindset, this beginner mindset. Absolutely. That's, I definitely agree with that.
0: And I think it's very easy to slip into that uh, autopilot or complacency. Right. Yeah. But, on a personal note, and I would love to hear your take on it, excitement comes from doing the things that I don't want to do. The, the, like the the positive stress like you were saying, the positive discomfort yep. where it's like I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to lift this or like how many times, how many reps? Yeah, And going out and doing it and the feeling that you get after you've accomplished that thing that you were uncertain of. Absolutely. Um, and that that could be almost anything getting up on stage or riding a roller coaster is the same thing i'm yeah. going to die this is very scary this is very high oh i didn't die wow that mm-hmm. was right. exhilarating like yeah. and but just kind of like you know sitting around and nothing ever changing it all staying stagnant i mean is that really happiness i, I, I or excitement right is that really fulfillment and i can't i can imagine it and say oh it's so nice like the luxury of it you know um but in reality, I've never actually felt fulfilled doing that. I get bored.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's a big difference between like there's some, some words that get, get conflated a lot and mixed around. You know, like I think two words are, are uh, uh, contentment and complacency. People confuse those two words a lot with what they're saying. Like like I'm very content with my kettlebell work now. Like I'm, my lips, I'm very happy with my lips. I'm very happy with my numbers are. I mean I'm doing things that most people can't do and I'm really – I'm content. that I'm, I'm happy with that. But I'm not complacent. I'm not going to stop lifting. I'm not going to only keep lifting the numbers I can hit. I can still lift more numbers. So like there's a way to be happy with where you are and what you've done and how much you've accomplished, but also understand that there's more things you can also do. You know, a lot of people I found in talking to them equate contentment and complacency. Like some people are just never happy where they are. Yeah. They don't, they don't acknowledge that they've actually made improvements and like that that's, you know, you can't sustain that. Like eventually the stress is going to win and you're going to start, you start breaking down. Or Other people... Hit a certain, like you know, modest goal. Like, well, that's it. Good. I'm cashing in. All done. You know, like, there's a way to be happy where you are and also still want to improve.
0: That's something that I've personally been wrestling with for a little while. Is is how to how to be satisfied with where you are and being afraid that if I was satisfied with where I was at uh, or content with it, right, mm-hmm. that I would lose the drive to push myself farther. Yeah. Um, however, mileage is really easy one to relate with me because, you know, doing like 50, 60 mile weeks. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, is that I had to find con- contentment with it because if I just was unhappy as a, if I was unhappy, just running. Right. And I'm, you know, running on my street and I'm doing a, uh, 20 mile week mm. and I'm still suffering. Like, I'm not, why am I doing this? Why yeah. am I doing this? If, if my, my present moment sucks. Yeah but someday it'll be better. Yeah. Like it, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. And that's that, uh, you know, what you were saying about, um, contentment and complacency, right? We have the, the paradise mindset. It's like one day in the future, it'll be so much better. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, I think that could be, that's like almost retirement in my opinion. Yeah, Like it, it could be a dangerous thing, you know? And how do you deal with that? Like, how do you, when you're doing your training programs, how do you balance that feeling like, uh, Being satisfied with the numbers that you hit and then knowing
2: that you need to push yourself. I think the biggest difference for me is uh, understanding that that, that there's a process to it. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's the reason like the bigger dump for the kettlebells because I like there's nothing I can do with the the 56s, right? That I could also basically do with the 68s. So 124 pound kettlebells to the 150 pound kettlebells. Like that's a big jump. So I have to understand that if I want to, you know, go from pressing the 124 pounders to press the 150 pounders. There's a lot of steps in between here and there. So understanding that like I'm working towards these steps, and these steps are eventually gonna lead me towards this ultimate goal, helps me be happier about where I am now. Like the other day I posted a video doing swings with double 150, so like 300 pounds, 150 pounds in each hand. Now those swings weren't like chest height yet, you know? I was happy because I got like I think about six or seven reps where they were like kind of belly-ish height, you know? Yeah. And uh now I was really happy with that. And uh it's funny because like uh, Kettlebell Kings saw the video. Like, I'm very grateful that they reposted it because it just helps me build more, more energy for the page. But a couple of people had like negative comments and like, oh, that's a no rep. Oh, like, you, know, you can't even swing that chest height. You shouldn't be swinging that high. And uh, like, like, I don't try to engage with people that are negative online, but you know, one of the guys was like, oh, like, why even swing if you can't swing at chest height? I was like, well, brother, like, listen, my goal is to build this to a clean and eventually to a press. If I don't start swinging with it to the degree that I can now, I'm never going to swing at chest height. If I can't get it chest height, I'm never going to get into a clean. So I have to swing here and obviously be safe, maintain body position, all the stuff to, to make it you know like safe for my body and just do what I can. And hopefully in two weeks, those swings get a little bit higher. Three, four weeks, maybe they're chest height. And you know maybe two months, I'm getting five good swings chest height and then I try my clean. And the first clean won't be my best clean by any means. But hopefully I can get that clean and get comfortable, you know? Then I'll start holding it and then I'll start doing these little steps along the way. So understanding that there's Small steps along the way to the ultimate goal helps me understand that, like be content without being complacent. So I find joy in the moments or I find happiness in the moments along the path to joy. Those are two okay. words I feel that are also very often complained is happiness and joy. Things make you happy. You will have to be a joyful person. Oh. makes sense? Like, yeah. like you can That's... have a bad day and still be joyful, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. but things are the ones that make you happy. Like things will make you happy for long. Things that make you happy, things that make you sad. But if you on the inside, you and your heart of hearts, your soul, you're joyful, then that's a different thing than being happy. So these little goals along the way make me happy, but I have to be a joyful person and enjoy the whole journey of it on my own. Whether it's hard or whether it's an easy day. Absolutely. And, or whether I fail or whether – the first time I try that clean, I might not get it. So obviously I'm not happy that I missed that clean, but I have to understand that it's another step on the journey. and I have to maintain a joyful spirit about it. Not in. And socially, that helps you so much, I would imagine, just in terms
0: of, you know, people wanting to be around you and um, be a part of your community or let you into their community, right? Like, that's a really important thing to learn. And it's interesting that you can apply
2: that to your exercise modality. Yeah. Well, this is one of the things, like I said, like how it's almost symbiotic, where my life has positively affected my, my training. Like, uh, you know, my dad's a minister, so I grew up in the church. You know, I, I'm still considering myself a man of faith to some degree. And that difference between happiness and joy, something I learned early on as a child was that, you know, like joy, joyful is a condition of the spirit, right? Now you can call that religious, you can call that whatever you want to call it. But I still believe the principle applies that joyful has to be intrinsic and then things can make you happy. So I can be joyful and also find happiness in things and then things can make me sad or upset, but I can still be a joyful person. Now, if you're negative or sad or ungrateful in your heart of hearts that nothing's truly going to make you happy or joyful. Like, this thing will be like, oh, this, this burger's delicious. I'm happy while I eat this burger, but then that's gone. And then anything negative that happens to you will just magnify that sadness, that guilt, that whatever it is negative inside of you. Oh, so by man. cultivating that positive, joyful spirit, you're able to more positively affect, the things affecting more positive than the positive is even more positive because you're already joyful. And the negative doesn't seem as bad because you're joyful. And then ideally is to be able to spread that to other people, to be able to positively impact the people around you with that joyful mentality.
0: That's that's so cool. I, it's something that reminds me of my experience uh, during, I think I was, I was doing swings. And when I was doing the swings, it would be so uncomfortable mm-hmm. that I would almost, like if someone would come up and like ask me a question, right, it would be. You're like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and over time though, I learned how to be able, how to remain joyous, right? And yep. allow that exuberance to come forth while, I, while I'm while i lifting something really heavy or, you know, I'm on like the last few reps and all I want to do is give up, but I'm wearing it well, right? There you go. And I learned to wear it well. And, and it's made me, and once again, it's just that, that symbiotic relationship with life. And it carried over into life explicitly for me because even in my hardest times now, um, exercises, you know, I, I didn't grow up being, you know, athletic, right? Cause mm-hmm. I just didn't have... The opportunities, or or the mindset, but now it's different. To where, like, if my life, if I'm having a hard time, right? And I've been through some pretty hard times in the past couple of years. Um, I learned to wear it well, and I learned to wear it well through exercise. That's know? awesome. And it's, yeah, it's great, man. And whenever you experience uh, injuries, just in general, how do you how do you handle it? Because I've seen some people where, let me think, they'll injure a shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll just stop doing exercises for a while until, you know, let it be pain-free and then until they can go right back into what they were doing. And then I talked to like uh, a Bud Jeffries, right. Mm -hmm. And he would get an injury and his first thing is, is okay, I'm going to start slowly working weights on it and build movement patterns on that injured area until, you know, rehabbing it essentially. Um, And I, I just see so many people where they go like direct, I know you're not offering like any opinion or, or not opinion, but Medical, like recommendations yeah. for people. Yeah, but just my just, personal experience. So many people going to go get surgery and like for who have very very permanent side effects. Yeah, and that it worries me. And so someone such as yourself, um, how do you handle it? Like, how do you handle your injuries?
2: Uh, I mean, I've been fortunate, and uh, I haven't had any significant injuries outside like a couple of muscle pulls and stuff like that uh, with my lifting. Uh, but and I got blown up in Iraq in 04 and I was pretty banged up a little bit but basically uh, I'm, I'm generally speaking more left brain so after the surgeries after everything else happened after I realized like, you know, like the extent of my injuries uh, I just tried to look at it logically right? so this is where I am now this is what hurts this is why these things hurt right? this is where I want to be what steps do I need to take to get myself from this point to that point point? Uh, and even with minor injuries I, I, I would encourage anybody that has them or this has always worked well for me It's to maintain the highest level of activity you can maintain safely. So let's say you hurt a shoulder. That should not be a reason to stop lifting. That should be, like, if anything, just do more leg work. Do whatever you can that's not going to aggravate that shoulder injury until it's ready for load bearing. You know, if you need to get surgery, get your surgery. Take the rehab seriously and take all the steps. But, I mean, the faster you get to work, the sooner you're going to get better. You know? know, For me, it's it's always just been, uh, you know, just – the method, finding uh, the, you know, the science behind it. And the, I need to understand things, understand what's wrong, understand why it's broken, understand how long it's going to be that way and what I need to do to get it back to where, you know, I need it to be. And again, the, once, after that happens, once you have that understanding, then it's just all there is between you and where you want to be is hard work. Yeah. And that's, that's the easiest part in my opinion. Cause that's just, that's on you every day to get up and, and go do the work. I mean, the hardest part is I, in my opinion, getting actually getting everything fixed getting the diagnosis getting an understanding of what's actually wrong like seeing what's wrong with the machine actually fixing it that's not that bad yeah
0: yeah i agree with you on that because then it's just it's very simple from there on out but yep. with all the confusion of what you know what could lead to a knee problem for instance there's a a myriad of, of things that can contribute to that nailing it down could be rather uh difficult or
2: just a lot of uncertainty so, yeah, except that, I think the diagnosis is, generally speaking, much harder than the, the healing process. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like a lot of times, especially with, with the body, a lot of times the, the part that gets injured isn't actually the problem, it's the symptom. Yeah. You know, like, like, after I got blown up, you know, like I did my best to rehab my ankle, there's always so much I could do. My, ankle, my right ankle is still a little jacked up. And if I don't take it seriously, I find that, like, um, normally my opposite knee or my yes. opposite hip will start bugging me. And that feels with a bad ankle, I'm cheating towards that side of putting more stress than they need on that ankle or that hip, right? So a lot of people would have something that happened to them and be like, oh man, my left knee's hurt. The body doesn't really work like that. I found, generally speaking, especially when it comes to lifting, wherever the pain is, unless there's a tear or something obvious, wherever the discomfort is, is generally speaking not where the actual problem is. It's just manifesting somewhere else because your body will go like this like we've talked about before in the podcast, it's safety mode. If your body finds there's a problem, with a particular body part, it's going to cheat away from that without you even noticing and put an overload something else until that starts hurting, you know? So like, like the understanding actually what's wrong with your body is essential. Like luckily for me, like I know where the injury is, you know, I know my right, my right ankle's jacked up. So when my left knee starts bothering, my left hip starts bothering me, I have little tricks to make that feel better and I know I need to go back and like, normally it's my squat pattern. That's the, the one that gives you the most problems. Then I know that basically like my squat pattern of the previous day wasn't as dialed in as it could have been. Mm. So I, I, so that's what, almost every time when I'm doing squats, I, I rarely squat by myself. And if I do squat, I make sure I record it. Because I want to make sure that I'm watching myself throughout the pattern. And you know, my, my hinge pattern, my swing pattern is very strong because the ankle isn't, isn't as active. There's no, like, dorsal flexion with it. You know, obviously pressing ankle has minimum activation, stuff like that. The squat, because of the forward knee projection, is the one where it gets a little wonky. So if I wake up one day, like, like, I squatted today, for example. So if I wake up tomorrow, my left knee, my left hip, or, like, my IT band, on the left side hurts, then I know I did a bad job today. So I got to be – so then that's the – like, with the body, that's the issue a lot of people have is not fully understanding where the problem is. Like, I'm lucky. My problem, like, I know where it was. It was a very traumatic day for me. So, like, it's not hard for you to figure out where I went south. For a lot of other people, like, you might have pulled a muscle in your upper back and not even really realized it. You yeah. just feel like it's tighter, or tighter, or, uh, tension, or sore from the workout. But if you don't really work that out, then the next thing you know, something else is going to pull. Like, like if, if I have a buddy who has an issue in his right shoulder blade. And if he doesn't take care of it, it's his left pec that starts hurting. Whoa. Right? Because we'll do a lot of double work, you know, like double presses, double stuff like that. So it affects his movement pattern and his left side ends up overcompensating for it. And it ends up being his left pec or his left anterior delt. Whoa! Right? That's a trip. So if we went there and just like oh we've seen to mobilize your left shoulder better, we would never fix the problem. So like it's little things like that. But I mean again, he, I've known him for a long time. He's had a, he's had that pop up before. So if I see him start cheating, I'm able to correct it right away. Or if, or if he's working out by himself, and the next day his left side is sore, we know why. Yeah. But again, a lot of people have you know that that's the hardest part is finding out where the leakage is. And like regarding your ankle, um, with your approach to that,
0: is there a is there a solution for it, or do you are you always trying to compensate um, compensate for it so that you can maintain proper
2: uh, movement pattern? Uh, with my right ankle, it's basically at this point as good as it's going to get, short of some you know miracle in science. So basically, I just can't flex, like my ankle. Like if I'm standing up, yeah. I can pull my left foot pretty high up right so like my knee my left knee can move very far forward in the squat Uh my right knee can barely get over my toes oh whoa! right so then i so if i'm squatting if i i can adjust my stance just right to get proper squat depth again below parallel and if i don't have my feet set just right i end up turning my right foot too far out which is the injured ankle and basically when i squat i squat towards my left side Oh, I see. And even wow. if even if that is just you know one inch off, especially with the weight that I, like, I like to squat, because I, I, I'm not doing you know 50 pound goblet squats because like I'm I'm a jerk. I like to go heavy every day. Like even you're doing three four reps, even just an inch off is going to put is going to overload that left side. That makes sense. So like I have to be very mindful of setting my feet. Like I found a good pattern that doesn't hurt my left side. Oh, but okay. with fatigue, with volume, with everything else, if I start getting lazy or like. Even subconsciously, my foot starts slipping, like it's sliding a little bit, it's gonna affect my the, the left leg. Yeah, but as far as like, there's nothing I can do to make it any better, I just have to be mindful and like stick to my, to what is now my optimal squat pattern. Mm-hmm. Like, anytime I go to a certification, or everything else, people ask me, like, why I squat that way. And I have to explain to them, like, just, listen, I have pins, plastic pieces, a lot of scar tissue in there. Like, this is the squat pattern I found that is safest and best for me. Yeah. You know, do I wish I could squat, like, you know, like full depth, my feet shoulder width apart? pointing all the way forward, you know, like, like some of the Olympic lifters. Yeah, I would love to be able to squat like that. But with my injury, that's just not going to happen. So I had to make the best squat pattern that I can with the situation I'm dealing with. Exactly. And that's that
0: that skill, right, is to be able to find, like, the best squat pattern that you can. Despite your, or best pattern you can, despite whatever limitation it is yeah. that you have. And that, that goes back to, you know, like, for the audience that might even have arthritis, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. Or, like, something that limits them to where... They limit themselves from, you know, uh, pushing themselves in exercise because yeah. they, you know, they have some physical limitation. However, yeah. if you put the extra, I don't want to say effort, I, I guess, uh, but right. if you—it is
2: an extra, extra, extra time to mm-hmm. learn. And
0: there's a solution for it, and that's where, like, once again, going back to Bud Jeffries, because he he had these uh, older ladies on, or he's been training and they're in their like 60s and stuff. They're pulling cars. Yeah. Uh, and they have arth- one of them has like severe, severe arthritis. Another one has had several surgeries, cancer, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Basically, I like, couldn't do a box jump, which I mean, yeah, um, it, it makes sense with their age and, and the things that they've been through. But he kind of refused. He's like, okay, we're going to start deadlifting kettlebells. We're going to start pulling cars, doing all of these things that you probably think you can't do. And, we're going to get through, you know, whatever uh, limitations that you have and still be able to do these, you know, feats of strength. For yeah. instance. And it's, and it goes back to that, like symbiosis with life in general. It's completely changed their whole lifestyles, you, you know, the self-confidence and stuff like that. Yep.
2: Yeah. But yeah, it's,
0: it's pretty incredible.
2: Um, yeah, but you, you know, even know, with injuries, like just people having different, you know, an anatomical structure, you know, like. I'm six seven. You know, my femurs are basically three and a half feet long. You know, like I have really long hamstrings. That's going to change some of my movement patterns. So if I yeah. try to swing or squat or move, even without an injury, the same way someone else might be able to, that might not be my best pattern. Mm-hmm. Like I feel That's like sense. something I've learned with kettlebells is like you know you have you know, you know people have like a really bad kettlebell swing, right? So then you want to take them from you know from a really bad one to an okay one, okay one to a good one, good one to a better one, and then their best swing. I found that everyone's good and bet and better swings will basically look the same, right? Because there's certain just universal truths about the way the body moves and like the best way to do a certain exercise. But then I found everyone's best swing we will start deviating a little bit. So you getting to a good place, like that B plus swing or that B plus press, the B plus bench or squat, whatever it may be, we're all going to look basically the same thing. But to really find your best squat pattern, you don't want to replicate with the way someone else is moving necessarily because they might have different anatomical structures than you do. So not just for injury, for learning how to move better, like through an injury or past an injury, even just every day for the average healthy person trying to move like somebody else, understand like their pattern might not be the best one for you. You might have more strength, more pattern, more stability, less injuries with a slightly modified pattern. And like a a good coach will help you find that. Mm.
0: And do you recommend that people who are, who have been uh, training kettlebells, uh, or are looking to
2: train in kettlebells, at least see a coach for a period of time so that they can get their form critique? Absolutely. I can't overstate the importance of, of finding coaching in, in anything. I mean, you look at you look at Brian Shaw, right? World champion car lifter, he still has a coach. You know, now, do you need to pay for personal training sessions five days a week? I'm not saying that. But especially if you're new to something, you should 100% try and find a coach to try and at least get you proficient. And uh, I would encourage people to continue checking in with a, with a coach. You know, like, again, I know it's expensive. I know it's going get pricey. I know people want to pay for things above and beyond. But if you really want to continue improving at a reasonable rate, you, you can't overstate the benefit of an experienced eye watching you from time to time. Yeah, you know, like that. That's I, I'm regularly sending videos to, uh, like, uh, uh, on Instagram. Uh, lift, lift with Holly and Aaron. Uh, I met Aaron at a strong first event a long time ago, and him and his girlfriend live out in Portland, and they are exceptional kettlebell movers. Now I'm stronger than both of them, but it doesn't mean anything. Like I'll still send them videos of me doing a swing, asking for their their input because they move really, really well. I mean, you had Mav on the podcast. Mav and I are constantly sending videos to each other back and forth, asking for critiques. You know, like I wish I had someone in the area that had a higher level of kettlebell experience that I could look to more regularly. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, actually, I have one girl now that's that's moving up and strong for us, and that she moves very well. So she and I will so will we'll regularly meet up and work out. Like so, even even at my level of kettlebells, I feel like I'm. Fairly proficient. I am still regularly asking for people's input and advice on my moving patterns, how to do it better. I'm sending Eric Milland videos of my mace work constantly, just to get his input on different things. You know, so yeah, I would 100% encourage people that are new to the industry or new to working out to look for help and to continue looking for that help and looking for that guidance. You know, as often as you might think you need it. Yeah. Any, any, I don't. I don't trust any coach, even like a, a personal trainer, that isn't regularly going to certifications or reg- regularly going to seminars. Like I'll, I'll talk to other fitness, ex, you know, "quote unquote" experts, and I'll ask them, "When's the last time they went to a seminar certification?" And they're like, "Oh, I, I don't know." And I'm like, "Well, h- how can you possibly expect to continue like helping your clients if you're not continually educating yourself?" You know, like none of us are. None of us are at the summit at the pinnacle. We're all on the way there. We're all improving. Like we have somebody else or someone behind us or whatever it may be, but none of us have made it yet. You know,
0: there's no done like that. that yeah, that's exactly. that paradise mindset we we're talking about before. I mean. Like if you pursue anything and you genuinely enjoy it, like, I mean, you can choose to be done, but that's because you chose it. Yep. It's not because there was nothing left to learn.
2: Oh, no, absolutely.
0: Even in like the smallest of movements, there's so much nuance to it that you could learn. Right. Absolutely. And that, and it could be so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sounds like something that is, that is really important is to be able to get a critique like that. Do how, how. How important is Strong First,
2: in your opinion, for, for people who are interested in kettlebells? Uh, I've, had, I've had the greatest benefit from their instruction. Uh, their structure is very, very militant in the way they approach things. everything's just, you know, like, not that, not that they're the end-all, be-all of kettlebell training, right? But their approach is very systematized, is very well-researched, and it's, it's legit. And when you go to Strong First school, they're teaching you the Strong First way. Right now, while you're there, they want you drinking the Kool-Aid. They want you wearing the shirt, talking about them. You do everything there the way they teach you to do it. And I think that's the way it should be. Now, do I do things to the strong first standard every day in my training? Absolutely not. But I think that's the point of going to learning new things, right? Like you go, like what's that Bruce Lee quote? Uh, you know, absorb everything, uh, retain what's important, disregard what's not. And like, what, how the, I forget the, but that's basically the idea. Like, learn as much as you can, retain the things that you think are, are valuable, the things that are not, disregard, and then continue evolving in your own practice. And that's the whole idea behind Jeet Kune Do, right? He took a bunch of different martial arts styles and applied them. He was winning kung fu tournaments for a long time because he was just using a western boxing shuffling stance. Mm-hmm. Right? He yeah. just changed the footwork, and these kung fu guys had no idea what to do. He was still basically doing, like, old school kung fu forms and fighting them, but he would just change the footwork up a little bit. So, I mean, yeah, strong first, I think, is, is a very, very – if I was going to really recommend to anybody to, to start their kettlebell training, for an educational standpoint – they're the most structured. Yeah. And I think especially at the beginning, that's going to be the most beneficial. Uh, then again, Marcus Martinez, the guy got me in the kettlebells. He's now with Kettlebell Kings. And I'm taking his certification now. And he's more flow-oriented, moving from one position to another, transitioning from one, like a, a swing to a snatch to a windmill and making more flow-based, which isn't my forte. And that's exactly why I'm pursuing that school. So I'm really excited to like, learn from him again. again it's, it's all, it all has to be goal-oriented. Mm-hmm. I want to get stronger. So I pursued, generic, generally speaking, generally speaking sorry, things that will help me get stronger. If I wanted to get stronger, I shouldn't be doing you know, sets of 30 reps. That's not going to get me stronger. And that's another problem I see with a lot of people in the fitness industry is that they have some kind of like icon they follow, and they're just doing this person's workout with no idea of how it's going to change, their, change them. Like every girl I train, I'll ask her, what are your goals? Oh, flatter stomach, nice butt, toned legs. I'm like, well, what do you do for that? They're like, oh, I run. Well, how much, well, do you do any weight training? Like, No, I'm like, okay, then you're not going to accomplish your goal. You know, yeah. if all you're doing is running three miles twice a week, you're not going to get this flat butt, nice, you know, this flat stomach, nice butt, and toned legs. You need to put a little resistance training into that. Oh, I want to get bulky. Okay, like, yeah, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, You don't have an understanding of how this works. Like, your training has to be goal specific. That makes sense. And that's that's, that's, that's again, another point with the coaching. You want your coach to understand your goal, help you reach your goal. And that's the fun, right? Yeah. Or some
0: of the fun, the excitement of being able to attain things that are were once impossible. To yep. You. That's really tight. And uh, when you when you look at the flow, like the kettlebell flows that uh, Marcus does, right? Yeah, Marcus. Marcus. Um, is that more
2: conditioning, um, or can you get can you reach strength goals? I think, again, I feel like endurance, conditioning, and strength aren't mutually exclusive. I think you can, you can to some degree, train all three simultaneously. It's just a matter of, of how you're doing it. So, I mean, it also depends. And then there's weight selection. Now, you can do a flow, which is, let's say, you know, hypothetically, right? Let's say it's six to eight movements strung together, right? Now, you can do that flow seven, eight, nine, ten times with lighter weight, and that's be more in the conditioning mobility side. Now, you can do that same flow with a more aggressive weight. We can only get through it one time with each arm before it to set it down, right? And that, that'll help you get stronger. So, I think when you look at Strength and conditioning, I don't think it's as much the exercise necessarily that's going to affect it being a strength or a conditioning or endurance workout. I think it's the weight selection and it's the work-to-rest ratio more so than the exercise that's going to affect it. Like the press in and of itself won't make me stronger, right? Mm -hmm. Pressing one to three reps and then resting a minute and a half in between will get me stronger. I can do the same press with with lesser weight for 15 reps as an EMOM and that's going to improve my shoulder conditioning. So like, people will always want to think like I, – I, I think the average person doesn't understand the importance of work-to-rest ratio when it comes to achieving a particular goal. Like, uh, I train a lot of people that are more conditioning-based that want to improve their strength. And the biggest struggle with them is convincing them to slow down. And
0: slow down is in less reps. Uh, less reps, rest. more rest.
2: So that's why like, I mean for, for them, like some of the guys that I trained that are more strength-oriented – I don't need to tell them to slow down. In fact, I need to tell them to speed up sometimes. But the conditioning people, I have to set a clock and I have to have, have the clock visible. And I'm like, you're not going again until the clock is red, right? The clock is blue right now. Wait till it's red. And I'll see them like, just staring at the clock, just pacing. And I'm like, relax. Like, you want to get stronger, right? Your other three workouts of this week are at the other gym where you're doing conditioning. Here, we're slowing it down. We're doing strength. Like, this is part of the deal. So uh, People just need to understand, like, you know, accomplish the goals you want to accomplish with proper training methodology and, and good programming. Basically, being
0: specific with your aim. Yeah, right. Yeah, being intentional. And uh, is there some resources or references that you would advise people new to kettlebells
2: or maces to look into um, to further their knowledge? Uh, I mean, YouTube is an amazing resource. You know, it's always Instagram. You know, like just again, I think the first phase for most people should be an exploratory phase just go watch a bunch of Marcus's videos on flow. You know, like, if, you know, if you want to watch some of my videos for like some of the heavy lifting or like Maverick or Rhino strength in Chicago, like watch some of the heavier videos, watch, you know, like different people. And then just kind of see what piques your interest. And then once that, some of them piques your interest, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to those people. And most of us are, especially in the Campbell world right now, like none of us are, uh, are making million dollars living on yachts. You know, like most of us are still just grinding away every day. So if you're us a, a message, most of us will get back to you in you know, in a reasonable amount of time. And we're more than happy to help out, give you some guidance. Turning on some different things again. Like, and YouTube is always a is an amazing resource. Yeah. You always go on there and just look up kettlebell swings. And just at the beginning, just observe. You know, just observe, watch, absorb as much as you can, and then, and then build on that. Uh,
0: have you ever tried juggling kettlebells?
2: <laughs> I, I I have tried juggling kettlebells. Yeah. <laughs> you, what, uh, are you,
0: what are your thoughts on that modality?
2: I mean, it's. Uh, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a fitness thing. I think juggling kettlebells is, is, for the most part, like, it's a, it's a fun trick. And yeah. It's a cool thing to do at the end of a workout, and it works on hand-eye coordination and everything else. But I don't know anybody that programs juggling as the workout. Yeah. Like, no one's doing, like, oh, I'm going do 10 sets of, of kettlebell swing flips, you know? Like, no, one, no one's using juggling in that way. And that's, that's, uh, that's another thing that I, I've been uh, talking with other guys on Instagram about it lately, like, the disingenuous nature that Instagram naturally does. Like, my, my programming for myself is very, very boring. I focus on, on some core lifts and everything else. I do some variety, but for the most part, I'm not doing crazy stuff. But in order to kind of generate buzz and get people to attract it to you, like you have to post some more engaging things. Yeah. You know? So the 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 balance for me is to still try and post things that are engaging and compelling to you know generate interest, but that are also to some degree reflective of what my actual training looks like. Ah, uh, I see. You know? I saw people the, like in the fitness world social media that all they do is just post tricks and cool things they can do, which is awesome, but it's not telling your followers how you got to where you are. It makes sense, like, so the, the, balance, the that that's a difficult thing and something I'm learning to navigate now, especially with the kettlebell world being kind of like emerging on the social media scene, is learning how to navigate that process to be like, hey, listen, like this is something cool I can do, and the way I got to be able to do this cool thing is through these other steps that might not be as fun to watch. Mm, that makes sense.
0: and. Um, yeah, because I think what – in in Russia – I'm still learning about this, so I, I might seem a little bit ignorant. But in Russia, they have uh, performance competitions yeah. for kettlebell. Yeah, and some of the, the, the kettlebell swings or throws that they do, okay. it's just – it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And that's what – I didn't know if like that was a their primary training thing or if that's like what we used to – or what happened back in the day where they – like what Bud Jeffries still does
2: is like – Uh, old time feats of strength to where you go up on like stage and you perform for people yeah well that's the thing is like if you look at those like those jugglers even like Bud Jeffries right like those guys did a lot of very boring powerlifting, regular linear work to get to the point where they could show off their strength in this amazing way like very few people started off just bending steel yeah right but I mean I've I've talked to Bud Jeffries about this even though like it's a shame I've never met him because my in-laws live like five miles from his house Oh wow! So every time I'm there, like I'm always, we're always trying to like run into each other, but we never haven't been able to make it happen yet. But I mean, I guarantee if you ask Bud Jeffries, like he didn't start doing this stuff, like to get to this, like he didn't get this strong tearing cards and bending bending steel. Like his workouts were like, I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna tear ten decks of cards, I'm gonna bend th- six things of steel. Yeah. Like, I guarantee you he did squats, carries, farmers walks, a bunch of other like more conventional things to build up this foundation. Now at this point in his career, with this amazing strength he has. Now he might focus more on just like the fun, more outlandish stuff, but he did a lot of very linear, very boring grunt work, a lot of grinds to get to the point where he's strong enough to showcase it in this amazing way. Like, I, like, I mean, one of the things that got, that, that got me noticed a lot was like the, the one hand deadlift with like, with 400 pounds. Like, that's not my, that's not my workout. Yeah. You know, like I didn't, I didn't go out there and one hand deadlift 400 pounds for reps. I did a lot of kettlebell swings, a lot of kettlebell carries, a lot, a lot of kettlebell deadlifts, a lot of ke- other stuff, grip work and other lifts to build up to the point. And then one day, I just—I was curious about how much I could deadlift with one hand. And then I went out there and started deadlifting things like slowly, and building up. And that day, that's just—that's what I did. That particular day. What's up, buddy? Yeah. Say <laughs> hi. But I mean, like, again, yeah, like, people need to understand that like, for every for every fun trick you might see any one of us post on social media. There's a lot of grunt work that went into getting us strong enough to pull that off. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's and that's just a part of it all, you
0: yep. know, and, and learning to be able to appreciate that. And um, wh- where can people find out more about you,
2: uh, Sam? Uh, the biggest thing for me right now is uh, just uh, uh, Instagram. You know, uh, Gorilla Gurevik, G-O-R-I-L-L-A-G-I-R-E-V-I-K. I mean, if you search no. Gorilla, Gorilla G-I, they, uh, I'll probably start popping up somewhere in there.
0: And I'll uh, be sure to leave the link to the, uh, your Instagram in the show notes. Do you, got, uh,
2: do you also offer personal training? I do. Yeah, I, I do. I do uh, uh, online coaching. Uh, you know, I do uh, four week programs, three days a week. Uh, first program is a hundred dollars, and the programs are all customizable to whatever you want to accomplish. Be it general physical preparedness, be it you know more power, be it you know a press, whatever your goal is. We discuss that. I write up a four week program for you, and then secret programs will depend on. On you know what goals you want to accomplish, how long you want to keep going for, but the first one hundred bucks, four weeks, three days a week. Uh, okay, cool. Huh. Not bad at
0: all, man. Sure. Well, and thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. That no, it was
2: it's, a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm absolutely, glad. man. I hope you
0: have a good day. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can check out Sam on Instagram at guerrilla And I'll be sure to leave the link to his Instagram in the show notes. You can also reach out to him for programming for your kettlebell and Mace's needs. It was a pleasure to talk with Sam. I love it when people find their niche and push with everything that they've got to pursue it further. That was clunky as hell. I just love it when I see people doing great. Doing things that they love with determination. And putting themselves out there. Because that's exactly the person that I try to be. And to see people who are steps ahead of me. It only pushes me further along my path. If you'd like to check out some more episodes. You can head over to becominghumanpodcast.com. Or find us on iTunes. Google Play. Stitcher is Becoming Human Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and share it with a friend. All right, till next week. Thanks.
1: Follow my heart into the dark to be of service. What does it mean? Golden thread spun in a web to be perceived. Rivers and streams won't stop till I wake on the bedrock. Heartbeats to the breath in the wedlock. Hit top guaranteed, then you've been lost. Everybody fall asleep, make your head nod. Better not, got a red dot aimed at the center of a red hot sit Then I get soft, squeeze, then I lift off, beaming the breeze to be seen as a witness. Well, spread it like colossal. I feel the land on hunt for fossil. God within us held hostage. Pineal gland like a faucet. Now states it all in. That's my body. That's my body, high states, that all in. that's my body, 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 that that's my body, body. monster in the flesh, spirit in the world, I feel this fall, game of love, standing my life. that's my body. shock, the system Broke down doors Of our perception Crushed collective assumptions Reborn in bubbling Gases No shore Open sore In the pith Of unfolding patterns We slowly rose In the death of the thorn All frozen in ashes What for? Going back home Broke down to the fractal Black hole Digging through Tirodactyl bones trapped nose from the battle zone Stuck in a half-full cup In a catacomb Maya Dance to a natural rhythm Crack the code To release this Wounding generations DNA Food chain Misty memory Cuts to the bone Guys, sections of earth Two tonic shifts no twisting the hips, when the shirts on the wrist till this crystal is it splits It's as dark as it gets. Revisiting it every time we touch lips. What choice? led the voices in my head telling me I don't exist. Never be better after. Feel this, when we're living on the edge. Infinity of in me is in the vision, never ends.